Hello, and welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Impact Wrestling, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. And without further ado, let's start the show. Raw starts off with the WWE Champion Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman coming down to the ring, and this is Brock's second week in a row being on Monday Night Raw, so this seems that it's going to be an ongoing trend with Brock Lesnar. Anyhow, before they can actually get to the meat of their matter while they're here, Bobby Lashley and MVP come down to the ring, and Bobby grits a mic, and he formally introduces himself to Brock Lesnar. He tells Brock that he's the guy that Brock has been ducking for 20 years, and that he finally gets his match that he's been dreaming about for years with Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. Brock tells Bobby that for the past 20 years, he's been winning championships in this ring and in other rings, meaning the UFC. Brock tells Bobby that the reason why you haven't seen me is because you weren't relevant enough for me to see. And personally, until day one, I didn't know who you were. Bobby thinks this is hilarious, and he tells MVP, listen, Brock's a comedian over here. He tells Brock, listen, once I beat you for the WWE Championship, listen, you can go and do your comedy bit tour because you know what? You're a funny guy. Brock tells him, you know what? I'm funny and I'm money. Then Brock decides to do a knock-knock joke. Hey, bully! Knock-knock! Brock Lesnar does a knock-knock joke in Philadelphia. I thought I saw it all. Okay, Brock, who's there? Bobby. Bobby who? Exactly. After the not not joke, you see the camera pan over to Bobby Lashley's face, and Bobby is not happy with this because you're disrespecting Bobby Lashley. Bobby says that he can't wait to beat Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble to win the WWE Championship off of him. Brock says some more stuff to Bobby, but he ends the promo by basically telling Bobby this. Listen, it's hard to beat Brock Lesnar, but it's even harder to beat Brock Lesnar when you're a wannabe Brock Lesnar. Then Brock drops the mic, and he leaves the ring. Now, when Brock and Paul leave the ring, Bobby is standing there looking totally pissed because he just got one-upped by Brock Lesnar. And not a lot of guys can talk smack to Bobby Lashley without Bobby literally trying to tear them up in that ring. But then out of nowhere, Sheldon Benjamin and Shedrick Alexander attack Bobby from behind. But that doesn't go well for Shelton and Cedric. Now, you might be asking yourself, why does Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander attack Bobby from behind when the last time you saw them, they were cool with each other? Well, before Bobby came out, you saw Bobby Lashley in gorilla position. Him and MVP were looking at Brock and Paul Heyman in the ring. And right next to Bobby and MVP were Cedric and Shelton. Shedrick was talking to Bobby saying, hey, listen, we'll come out with you. We'll be like the old times. It's great to have the game together. Bobby Lashley takes his glasses off and looks at Shelton and Cedric saying, listen, I told you the her business is done. There is no we. I'm a one man thing. I don't need yous. You're not with me. We're done. I told you this. Now, in hindsight, why would WWE put Hurt Business back together and then split them up again. It doesn't make sense to me, and this is the reason why the fan base is pissed off at WWE a lot, but I'll get down to that after this segment right here. Shelton and Cedric attack Bobby from behind. That doesn't go well for them because Bobby was able to beat up both of them and lay them out on the outside of the ring. WWE needs to quit this. When you have a, when you have a successful unit, as in the Hurt Business, because people were clamoring for the Hurt Business to get back together because it made no sense for WWE to split them. And then when we 
got them back together, sort of, whenever Bobby went against Goldberg at uh, the Saudi Arabia show. I can't, it's, I, it's not running to me right now. But anyway, in like October, October-ish, you had Bobby going against Goldberg, and then out of nowhere, Shelton and Cedric were with Bobby at the final stages of it, so it looked like the Hurt Business were back together. So we were under the inclination that the Hurt Business were together. Now you mean to tell me, no, that that was just Shelton and Cedric trying to be on the good side of Bobby? I Again, this doesn't make sense for a viewing audience member watching the show. This thing needs to quit being so kerfuffled and just get everything right. With a group like the Hurt Business, keep them together. It doesn't make sense. You didn't do right by them the first time you split them, and now you had a second opportunity and you decided just to piss that away. It doesn't make sense. And if anything... Bobby wants to have the Hurt Business on his side because why would you not when you go against somebody like Brock Lesnar? I understand Bobby is the almighty, but Brock is Brock. And even Roman had the Usos to help him. It just doesn't make sense. Roman wasn't stupid like this. Why are you trying to make Bobby stupid? Don't do that. Bobby's an intelligent man, with especially on with MVP by his side. That's my tantrum on that. Also, here's something I think you guys can pick up on, too. If you did see the promo, you will see that MVP and Paul Heyman were kicking it in the back, just staring at both Bobby and Brock just talking on the mic. And this is the most time Brock has really talked on the mic, like, like legitimately since a long time, like him really going against somebody on the mic. Same thing with Bobby. Bobby doesn't usually talk like this much on the mic. I mean, he gets on the mic more than Brock, but... Bobby usually has MVP does his talking for him. Same thing with Brock with Paul Heyman. But it looks like we're getting a new dimension out of Brock. It looks like we're going to get more talking out of Bobby. Hopefully we get a showdown between Paul and MVP. Because personally, that's what a lot of people want. But I'm not sure if we're going to get it. But I'm pretty sure we should be getting it before this feud is actually done. Anyway, now that that has, has all been taken care of. Now it's time for the first match of the night. It is for the Raw Tag Team Championships. It is RK Bro going against Alpha Academy. Alpha Academy wins the match and becomes your new tag team champions when Randy and Chad Gable were the legal men in the ring and Otis was able to tag himself in without Randy knowing. Randy tried to RKO Chad Gable, but as soon as he has his arms locked in for the RKO, Chad pushes him towards Otis and Otis picks him up, hits him with a world's strongest slam, and pins him for the win. This was a good tag team match. This was a good match. A WWE, the Raw creative team, whoever was in the back, gave this match enough time so they could set up and do everything right and do what needs to be done. And again, when you watch this tag team match, you notice that American Alpha, well, Alpha Academy, is a good stable unit. They're a good tag team. Otis and Chad Gable, they work together. They they actually are friends on the outside of the ring, so they know how and what ways to move with each other, and I'm happy to see Alpha Academy actually get a tag team title on them, because personally, it was long overdue for my opinion. I like Alpha Academy, I do, and especially with them turning Otis into a miniature version of a Vader, I love it. Now it's time for six-man tag team match, it's Street Profits and Damian Priest go against the Dirty Dogs and Apollo Crews with Commander Aziz in their corner. Uh, Dirty Dogs and Apollo win the match by pinfall when Dolph was able to hit uh, the zigzag on Angelo Dawkins and then cover him for the win. Again, another good six-man tag team match. It was nothing... Uh, it wasn't bad. It was a good six-man tag team match. Nothing really 
to much to say about this. After this, we get Seth Rollins' in-ring promo. Seth comes out and talks about his match with Roman coming up at the Royal Rumble. He does the whole nickname battle of the visionary going against the tribal chief, the revolutionary going against the head of the table. Brother versus brother, talking about their time in the Shield. He talks about how he got his match with Roman. Seth says that he didn't need a snake charmer like Paul Heyman to try to talk somebody into him, talk him getting into the match. He just went up and took what was rightfully his. He also mentions that he didn't get his one-on-one match at day one, that he won uh, the latter match for. He says that there are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Seth Rollins beating Roman Reigns. Um, Biggie then comes out and enters the ring. Biggie tells Seth that he's happy for Seth. Seth asks Biggie, okay, why are you happy for me? He says that he hopes Seth wins, and he even got 10 bucks on Seth beating Roman for the Universal Championship. He tells Seth that he has entered himself into the Royal Rumble, and he plans on winning it, and he plans on doing what he was going to do at day one at the biggest show of shows, WrestleMania, and he plans on beating Seth Rollins at WrestleMania, basically for the Universal Championship, since Seth is going to be beating Roman. That's, well, Big E and Seth Rollins playing here. Seth tells Big E, listen, I hope you win the Royal Rumble. As a matter of fact, I'll bet... 10 bucks on you too as well to win the Royal Rumble, okay? But that doesn't mean that you're going to beat me. It doesn't matter whether it have been day one or day 4,000. You can't beat Seth Rollins, all right? Even challenges Seth Rollins to a match right now. Seth does the whole bad guy stalling like, you really want this match? You really want it? And as a bad guy, when a person does that and he asks the fans, do you really want this match? They usually decline and say, Nope, you're not going to get it, or uh, probably next week or something like that. But Seth says, you know what? Fine. Get a referee down here. We'll get this match started. And we do. We get Big E versus Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins wins the match by pinfall when he curve stomps Big E that covers him for the win. This, again, was another good, solid uh, one-on-one match on Raw. It seems to me that somebody happens to be listening to the fans out here saying that, yo, you got to give these matches time for the show to actually be interesting for people to actually love and care for the product. And they did this. So it's now a two and two. The Raw tag team titles, they gave them enough time and people care for it. Biggie versus Seth, they gave that enough time and people care for that match. So they're two for two so far. After this, we get Nikki A.S.H. and Rhea Ripley in-ring promo. And you get Nikki um, talking about how her and Rhea have announced that they're going to be challenging for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships uh, from Queen Selena and Carmella since they are the Tag Team Champions. Rhea looks over at Nikki and tells her, well, whispers to her that this isn't what we talked about. Nikki tells Rhea she knows everything has been a little bit rocky between them, but once they get their championships back, everything will be back to normal. Rhea tells Nikki that she wants to separate, but Nikki's having a hard time with this, and Nikki tells Rhea, you think you're better than me. I know you think you're better than me. Rhea has to get on the mic and tell Nikki, listen, I never said any of that. Now Nikki's throwing out a whole lot of accusations towards Rhea, with Rhea thinking that she was the one holding up Nikki and the team, and now you get spitter spatter. But it all comes to end with Rhea basically telling Nikki, listen, I know where this is headed, and I don't like it, so let's end it right here. Let's end this team uh, amicably, and extends her hand out to Nikki. Nikki says, I can't shake your hand unless you tell me that you believe in me. 
Rhea tells Nikki, I've always believed in you, and as long as Nikki believes in herself, she will be okay. Nikki puts the mic down, and it looks like they're about to shake hands, but then Nikki just blindsides Rhea and forearms her in the face and starts prowling on her like a freaking hyena on a cat or whatever the case may be, dog. It was really, really weird to see Nikki like just flip the switch and her just like pounding on Rhea Ripley. Always in my head, I always see when a team breaks up and sometimes is able to show off like in the weeks leading up. Because in the weeks leading up, you would think that, okay, Rhea's going to turn on Nikki because Rhea, it looks like Rhea's getting tired of Nikki losing or Nikki doubting herself. But no, WWE decides to flip it and say, nope, we're going to have Nikki turn on Rhea Ripley and Nikki uh, just beat up on Rhea. It didn't, I mean, I'm cool with where they're going. Uh, let me start with there. Uh, different version of the Nikki A.S.H. character. I would love to see how this is going to work. I'm not going to crap on it yet. I'm not going to say nothing bad about it yet because we're about to get into a week of it this next uh, Monday. But we'll see how that works. Again, this is a new twist for the Nikki character. I can't wait to see how this is going to turn out. After this, we get a match between Omos and a local talent. We know how this goes. Omos wins the match by pinfall when Omos... Uh, throws him around the ring, then double hand choke slams him, puts his foot on his chest, pins him. There you go. After this, we have a cutting edge segment, well, in ring segment, with Edge being the host with his guest, his beautiful, lovely wife, Beth Phoenix. Edge starts fan going, girling over his wife, giving her praise for being his wife, mother's two girls, and a wrecking ball of a competitor. Edge mentions that. Him and Beth are the only couple in the WWE Hall of Fame, and together, collectively, they have won 35 championships, more than any couple in the WWE. Edge then has the people in the back play a highlight package of Beth Phoenix's career, and then once the video is done, Beth tells Edge that she can't wait to shut the mouths of Miz and Maurice at the Royal Rumble. As soon as you say your opponent's names, you know exactly what happens. They have to come out. So who decides to come out? Miz and Maurice. They come out and Miz asks Edge what type of man uses his wife to fight his battles for him. He goes into that stick again. Edge tells Miz that he used Maurice to block a spear from him. Miz then says to Edge that, listen, I had a birdie tell me that you had a video package set up for your wife. But guess what? I have a video package pulled up for my wife showing off her accomplishment. And he has people play Marisa's video package and it plays and it's basically try to out best Beth Phoenix's video package. After the video, Miz starts singing the praise of his wife and even tells Edge and Beth that they should feel honored to be in the ring with Maurice. Edge stops all of this to tell Maurice that him and Beth do appreciate all the hard work that Maurice has had to overcome to be in the WWE and to get as much fame and accolade as she has gotten. But Edge has to be frank with her. Beth can deadlift a Buick, and she smashes things. Beth then tells Maurice that ever since I came back, you have been quiet, and the time for apologies are over. And at the Rumble, I'm going to smash you. Miz then gets on the mic and starts telling his wife to tell Beth all the things she's going to do to her. Tell her that you're going to smash her. Tell her that you're going to annihilate her. Tell her that me and you are going to beat both of them up at the Royal Rumble. We're going to humiliate them, annihilate them. And all this is happening with the Miz looking at Beth and Edge, never turning back to his wife, Maurice. And once he does turn around, Maurice is already gone. She's 
off the entrance ramp. She's headed already to the backstage area. The fans saw this. Edge and Beth sees this, and they're just looking at the Miz, finally getting the clue that Maurice is not there. So once Miz turns around, he sees Maurice is not there. He starts calling for Maurice. Maurice. She doesn't show up. Beth then tells Miz, listen, if Maurice doesn't show up at the Rumble, and if Edge doesn't get to you first, she can't wait to punch Miz's teeth down his throat. And that's the end of this segment right here. So this is basically another way to hype up their mixed tag team match at the Royal Rumble. Again, I can't wait to see it because I love the whole couples getting into the ring scenarios. I do love it. I just wish that we would have gotten it with Edge and Beth going against Becky and Seth. But there still might be time somewhere down the line. Maybe. After this, we get AJ Styles going against Austin Theory. AJ Styles won the match by DQ when AJ was looking to hit Theory with a phenomenal forearm, but Grayson Waller pops up out of nowhere, pulls AJ off the apron, and starts attacking him. The referee calls for a disqualification. Austin Theory walks up, grabs his phone, takes a couple of selfies of AJ on the ground, and leaves Waller to beat up AJ Styles. He does this until AJ gets control of it and starts beating up a Waller and even at one point grabbing Waller's head and bouncing it off of the commentary table. AJ then throws Waller into the ring and then Waller rolls out of the ring, out of the other side of the ring to basically escape, setting up their match the next night on NXT with AJ going against Grayson Waller in the main event. Speaking of main events, now it's time for the main event of Raw, the triple threat match between Dewdrop, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan, where the winner will face Becky Lynch at the Royal Rumble for the Raw Women's Championship. Also the note, Becky Lynch was on commentary for this match, which, in case you didn't know, she had to get in and interrupt the match and kind of screw over the potential winner who would have won this match, and that person would have been Bianca Belair. But, the person that ends up winning the match is Dewdrop. Dewdrop wins the match thanks to Becky Lynch because Bianca had the match won when she hit the KOD on Liv Morgan and they covered her and as the referee's counting the one, two, and he's about to hit three, Becky Lynch gets in and grabs Bianca out of the ring and starts attacking Bianca Belair. Becky then throws Bianca out of the ring, leaving Dewdrop and Liv Morgan in the ring. And as this is happening, Dewdrop drags Liv Morgan over to the corner and decides to hit a bonsai drop and pins Liv Morgan for the win. After the match, Becky gets inside the ring and extends her hand to Dewdrop. Dewdrop doesn't shake her hand. It just looks at Becky. And then Becky decides to slap Dewdrop across the face. And then she tries to grab Dewdrop and hit the manhandle slam on her. But Dewdrop doesn't move. Dewdrop was able to push Becky Lynch off of her, and then Becky rolls out of the ring and is next to the um, guardrail, well, the barrier that separates the fans and the competitors, and she just looks at Dewdrop and saying, you owe me. I help you win that match. Which is the dumbest thing ever if you're really going to be honest with yourself. Why would you want Dewdrop, a person that you can't pick up to win the match? It doesn't make any sense to me as a person watching the show. Sure, I would have went with Liv Morgan. Go in there, fine. You don't want to go against Bianca Belair because she's out, because she can outpower you and out hit you with the speed. Fine. You do what you did in this match. But why on God's green would you want Dewdrop to win? I would have tried it in my best interest to try to take out B- 
Bianca Belair and Dewdrop and have Liv win the match again so you can, well, beat Liv Morgan up at uh, Royal Rumble and basically have an easy night at the Rumble. It just doesn't make sense to me, but we shall see how this uh, feud goes between Dewdrop and Becky Lynch as they go into the Royal Rumble. Will Bianca say something to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville next week on Raw? Maybe. Who knows, but we shall see. And that is the end of your Raw highlights of the week. Now on to NXT. NXT opens up with the new NXT champion, Braun Breaker, and he does an in-ring promo. He starts off by thanking Tommaso Ciampa for being a great human being. He talks about how after the match, Tommaso grabbed him by the back of the neck and told him that it's his time and how Tommaso rolled out of the ring and even paid respect to Braun's dad, Rick Steiner, who was there in the attendance last week when Braun had his match with Tommaso Ciampa, and that was Rick Steiner's first ever time seeing his son wrestle in person. After that's all said and done, Braun then immediately goes into business and starts saying that if anybody wants a shot at him, you know that he's already ready. He's already looked at game tape. He's the first one in, last one to leave. He's always watching film. He's just ready to defend that title against anybody and everybody who's ready to ever step up. Braun drops the mic, walks out of the ring, and he starts posing with a championship. Then Santos Escobar and Legado de Fantasma, Raul Mendoza, and Joaquin Wilde walk right beside Santos Escobar. Santos and Braun Breaker have a stare down in the entrance ramp. For a brief moment, and then Braun just walks away. He hits a smirk on him first and then walks away. So this tells you where Santos is kind of leaning his head next to. And you can kind of tell where NXT's going with this next, where Santos is probably the next guy going against Braun for the NXT Championship. But before he does that, he has to take care of Zion Quinn, who he's about to have a match with right now. And it's Zion Quinn going against Santos Escobar. Winner gets Electra Lopez. Santos wins the match by pinfall thanks to Electra Lopez. Um, Santos had Zion on his shoulder, about to um, ram him into the ring post the same way that Bobby Lashley does with all his opponents. But before he's able to get close to the ring post, Electra Lopez gets in his way and she's standing right in front of the ring post. Santos puts Zion down and then tells Electra to move out of the way, but she just continues to stand there, and he said, this is for the familia. As Santos is talking to Electra, Zion is able to get to his feet and attack Santos from behind and throws him in the ring. Now you got Zion looking at Electra Lopez, and he's trying to figure out what game she's playing, and Zion has a sense, and he sees that something's about to happen, and as soon as he turns to his side, he sees Santos about to try to hit a suicide dive, but Zion quickly jumps up and hits Santos right in the head with a, basically a right hand to the face. So now you got the referee looking at Santos to make sure he can still compete in the match. And you go back to Zion and Electra just staring at one another. And then you see Electra put her hands right on Zion's chest. And she gave him like a head nod, like an approval. So it seemed to everybody like she made her decision that she's going to be with Zion. And that she wants Zion to put down Santos Escobar. But as soon as Zion turns his body around towards the ring... Electra kicks him right square in the nuts, and he goes down, and then he turns his head to look at her, and then you see Raul Mendoza grabs Zion by the shoulders, pick him up, put him, throw him into the ring. Santos sees that, he grabs him up, and nails him with the Phantom Driver for the win, so La Familia, Legado del Fantasma, is all united 
this was all just a plan just to basically humiliate Zion Quinn, which in the end, I can see this being a plan, but I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, Santos is going to have some hell to pay because whenever he goes after that NXT championship, and you know it's coming, um, Santos is going to have to look over Zion Quinn, well, his shoulder for Zion Quinn, because Zion's going to be popping up, and he, whenever he gets so close to winning, Zion's going to pop up and basically ruin Santos's chance, because you know that's how this usually goes in the wrestling business. You do wrong, best believe that wrong's coming back to you. Anyway, after this, we get another match. It's Cameron Grimes going against Damon Kemp, and that's the brother of Gable Stevenson, well, the U.S. Olympian. Uh, Cameron Grimes wins the match by pinfall when he was able to hit the cave-in on Kemp for the win. During the match, Malcolm Bivens was at the entranceway watching the match, basically scouting Kemp, because during the match, you saw Kemp hit a belly-to-belly, and then he pans the camera back to Malcolm Bivens, and Malcolm is just excited to see this. So this told you that he was scouting Kemp for this. And I will have no problem seeing Damon Kemp with Diamond Mind. It's nothing but legitimate athletes. Well, well, the Cree brothers are legitimate athletes. Damon Kemp is a legitimate athlete because they all three of them did collegiate uh, wrestling. Uh, Ivy now, she is, a, she is a specimen herself. She's not the tallest, but she is physically fit. And she's like a pit bull to me. If they want to really let her off the leash with the right training, she could be fast and powerful and she can dominate NXT's women's division if they just do the right things. And Roderick Strong, he's a great front man. He's a great centerpiece for the Diamond Mine. So having Damon Kemp in the Diamond Mine isn't a bad thing at all. After the match, Cameron Grimes looks into the camera and says, 2022 is Cameron Grimes' year and he's going to make sure of that. We get to figure out what that ha- what Cameron means by that later in the night, by the way. After this, we get a tag team match with Joe Gacy and Harlan going against Malik Blade and Idris Inafi. The winners of this match will get themselves into the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic, which starts next week. Malcolm, well, Malik Blade and Idris wins the match by disqualification when Harlan was brutalizing Malik in the corner. And you know when you're in the corner, you got to the count of five. And if you get to that five count, the referee calls for the bell. That's what happens here. The referee calls for the bell because Harlan didn't start beating, stop beating up on Malik at the five count. Uh, once the bell rings, Harlan is continuously pounding on Malik until the referee has to tap Harlan. And then you see Harlan turn his head quickly over to the ref and he's starting to walk over to the ref. Now the ref is cowering in fear because he knows what Harlan's capable of. Joe Gacy sees this. He gets in there and he separates him, uh, Harlan from the referee, and the referee's telling Gacy, hey, listen, I'm just trying to do my job. I'm the ref. I didn't mean nothing by disrespecting. Please get him away. Please get him away. Gacy's able to get Harlan away, and they're able to get themselves out of the ring. The ring announcer announces that Malik and Idris have won the match, so now they have entered themselves into the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So, that's good, because Malik, Blade, and Idris are a new, well, they're technically newcomers in NXT, so... This tag team uh, class should be a showcase for them. And personally, them, um, the Don, well, Brothers Creed, Creed Brothers, um, MSK, Mortal Less Imperium, Grizzly Young Veterans, Briggs and Jensen, those are the teams so far that I'm pretty sure are in it. Oh, yeah, and probably even Jacket Time are in there. Malik Blade, Malik Blade and Idris Anafi are like the odd guys out of it because they're not really on NXT that much. 
But it would be shocking for them probably like to get to the semifinals or even probably the finals. They're trying to shock the NXT universe. So it'll be shocking if they make it to the finals and maybe even win the whole thing. But I wouldn't be opposed to it because remember, NXT is a new regime. So we'll see how this all goes. After this, it's time for the crowbar on a pole match with Pete Dunne going against Tony D'Angelo. Tony D'Angelo wins the match by pinfall when he was able to throw Pete Dunne into the pole, grab the crowbar, and then hit Pete Dunne square in the face, then cover him up for the win. This was a good match between Pete Dunne and Tony D'Angelo. You had Pete Dunne able to compete even with his uh, right, no, 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 his left hand wrapped up in... Uh, Wrapped up, not in the cast formation, but he had it wrapped up so much to protect his hands from, like, uh, bending. And he was still able to do his stuff. He was able to still snap uh, Tony D'Angelo's fingers, do his whole routine, and do everything. He just couldn't do it to the effect that he would do it if his hand wasn't all bandaged up. And this also was a good match for Tony, too. Tony's a brawler, and this match works for a character like Tony to brawl with somebody like Pete Dunne. This was a solid match. What more can I say? After this, now it's time for the six-woman tag team match. Indy Harwell, Persia Parado, and Wendy Chu going against Amiri Miller, Caden Carter, and Casey Cadenzaro. The team of Persia, Indy, and Wendy Chu win the match by pinfall when Persia was able to hit Amiri with her uh, face first slam and then tagging Indy to hit a springboard elbow drop on the back of Amiri and cover her for the win. The shocking thing about this match is that Wendy Chu is, well, she technically isn't a newcomer, but this is her being repackaged. She was the mystery lady with Boa that she was wearing, the face paint and all that type of stuff at NXT early this, well, early 2021, late 2020. And, no, 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 early 2020. No, 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 late 2020, early 2021. There you go. And, um... They had to repackage her, and now Wendy Chu's whole thing is that she's a sleepy person. She sleeps any and everywhere. So we didn't know what we were going to see at the Wendy Chu, but Wendy Chu was actually able to wrestle in there. But people got to remember, if you don't know her, her name on the Independence was Karen Q. She was even signed to Ring of Honor at one point, and she's a legitimate wrestler too. So she can wrestle when she wants to. She can strike when she wants to. It's all about to WWE's discretion. So she was like the really shocking thing out of this whole match. But again, solid six-woman tag team match. After this, it's time for Solo Sokoa to go against Boa. This match went to a double countout when both men just continued to fight each other on the outside of the ring, and the referee counted up to 10, called for the bell. The match continued to happen, and basically they fought to the backstage. Solo used steel chairs, trash can lids, and Boa was able to throw Solo Sokoa into a still beam, and those two are still fighting in the backstage. Solo then throws Boa over an equipment crate, and now you see Boa on the opposite side of an equipment crate. You don't see Boa. Solo Sequoia tries to go over that equipment crate to grab Boa, but the next thing you know, you see a fireball basically pop up, and it hits Solo in the face. So now you see Solo covering his face, and he has his hands on his face, just trying to make sure that his eyeballs and everything's good. You just see him just writhing in pain. And then the camera blacks over to Boa, and Boa is just standing there, and he got his face all painted up. So again, this goes into the whole split thing with Boa too. Boa is a regular competitor at one point, and something happens, and then he splits himself back into the face painted up 
uh, Boa, who was just a merciless type guy. Same thing almost with Damian Priest. After this, now it's time for Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes' in-ring promo. Trick gets on the mic and he talks about how Carmelo and Trick are golden. If Carmelo has gold, Trick has gold. Trick says that him and Melo go together like PB&J or Trick Williams and Big Booty Women. And Carmelo has to stop and say, hey, hey, man, relax. We're on television. Carmelo then goes into paying tribute to Roderick Strong. Last week, I had one of the toughest challenges of my career against one of the toughest opponents, Roderick Strong. So with that being said, I'd just like to take a moment of silence for Roderick Strong's Cruiserweight Championship reign. Once he does this, you see Trick Williams with the shirt that Carmelo had last week with Roger Strong right next to the pearly gates with the beginning of his Cruiserweight Championship reign and date to the end of his Cruiserweight Championship reign. And you see Trick Williams pass a brown bag with a bottle in it to Carmelo Hayes, and he opens it up, and Carmelo says this. Rest in piss to all my ops. Now... When Carmelo says this, Carmelo starts, like, turning the bottle upside down, but nothing's inside the bottle. I thought some some type of liquid was going to come out, as we've seen in all the hood films. Some liquid gets poured out of the bottle, but there was nothing. So, he just throws the bottle out, he throws the props, Trick William throws the shirt out, and then Carmelo now gets on his whole, I'm me, I'm him, this is I business. He talks about how he is the walking cheat code. He is the North American champion. He is the unified North American champion. He is that man. He is the guy. You can call the North American championship anything you want, but Carmelo will call this the A championship because there's nobody better than him. And when Carmelo shoots, he doesn't miss. And that's all there is. And that is all that's ever going to be. He drops the mic, and this is what I was talking about a couple months ago. When Trick stepped onto the scene and we got the new NXT, the whole new colorful version down, I said that I wanted to see a um, cocky version of Carmelo Hayes. And I'm glad to see this cocky, I'm that man type of dude from Carmelo Hayes, because I told you, that humble mess it just didn't look like Carmelo. It didn't look like him. There's certain guys you can see that's a complete, like, prick. There's a complete difference within them once you see their whole persona. Carmelo Hayes didn't look like the humble guy. Like, I'm humble. I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to shake everybody's hand backstage. Carmelo doesn't look like that. He looks like the guy like, yo, listen, I'm him. I don't care who you are. Y'all can kiss my butt. I'm the man around here. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to show you out in that ring and watch what I do. And also follow that. And that's the type of guy that Carmelo is on NXT. And I'm glad to be seeing that just being brought out onto the screen. Anywho, he drops the mic. He gets on the second turnbuckle. He does his posing deal. He says, I am him. I am him. AJ Styles' music hits. He comes out. He does his whole pose. Carmelo and Trick meet AJ at the ramp. And now you see Carmelo and Trick both mouth off to Styles. And Styles just looks at both of them and he just brush passes them and walks into the ring because now he's getting himself ready for his match against Grayson Waller, which is coming up next. But we see Carmelo and Trick walk to the backstage, and you see them walk out to the parking lot. They go to one of the bodyguards that they threw their keys to earlier, and they ask for, okay, where's our keys? The guy says, I don't have them. 
then you see Carmelo and Trick saying, okay, then who are keys it? And then you see Cameron Grimes leaning up next to uh, their vehicle. Cameron Grimes tell them, listen, if this was last year, you would have saw Cameron Grimes doing donuts in this parking lot with your car right now. But this is a new year, and I'm just going to be up front with you. I'm coming after that North American Championship. And then he throws up the keys towards Melo, and then Melo drops it, and then Cameron instinctively says, Melo doesn't miss. And then that plays on to Melo missing, grabbing his keys. So this tells you that this got Melo a little bit shooken up. But I want to see Carmelo and um, Cameron get this match on because they're still two of the brightest young guys in NXT. Uh, Cameron Grimes has a whole lot of potential on him. He was in Impact Wrestling. He was a great uh, X Division champion in the matches that he's had on NXT. When giving him the ball to run, he's actually able to do and pull off matches. Even that uh, street fight that he had with Duke Hudson a couple weeks or about a month ago, which we haven't still seen Duke since that point. So next time we still do see Duke, well, he's probably going to have a hair full of, a head full of hair on his head. So, I mean, there you go with that one. But again, uh, this is leading up to Carmelo and Cameron down the line for the North American Championship. Now it's time for the main event of NXT is AJ Styles going against Grayson Waller. And AJ wins the match by pinfall whenever he was able to hit the phenomenal forearm on Grayson Waller and coming over for the pin. This was a good match. This match gave Grayson Waller some leverage in his career, gave him a bigger spotlight and a bigger bright light on his career because whenever you have a main roster talent, the caliber of AJ Styles going to NXT, this is going to put some light onto you. And if not light towards like the independent like light, like everybody's going to be watching because you're an independent guy. Oh, I can't wait to see it. No, this is going to be like, okay, main roster, like the WWE that watches Raw and SmackDown type of fan watching NXT to see their favorite star AJ go against somebody. And probably even people in the back in the main roster of the like the company of backstage officials looking at NXT just to see how Grayson Waller does with a star of the caliber of AJ Styles, who Styles makes everybody looks good when he's in the ring with. Um, he does that here with Grayson. Grayson had a great match with AJ, and there's no more that needs to be said. If you want to watch it, I will suggest you should. This was a good match for Grayson Waller. Um, after the match, AJ gets on the mic and tells Grayson that he's good, but he's not phenomenal. And AJ then proceeds to tell Grayson that his mat, his night isn't over yet because AJ's brought a friend with him. And at this point, I didn't know who AJ was talking about at all. And then LA Knight's music hits and I'm like, oh, okay. I forgot Grayson took out LA Knight uh, a couple months ago and we haven't seen him in a minute, so now we have LA Knight back, and I'm good, and I'm glad to see LA Knight, he didn't get, like, cut from WWE, because, again, this new era of NXT, it fits in with LA Knight, and if LA Knight gets pulled into the main roster, that will fit with him, too, unless, and I mean unless, the main roster kills him, which we have seen the main roster kill a lot of people's career, uh, anyhow, LA Knight comes down to the, uh, comes down to the ring and he starts beating up on Grayson Waller. He throws him outside of the ring. He starts beating up around, beating him up around the uh, commentary table. Even throws him across the commentary table. He throws him back into the ring and then he gets clotheslined over the top rope of the ring. And now you have Ellie Knight and AJ just staring at each other. AJ embraces and gives Ellie Knight a hug. They hug each other. 
They go to uh each they go to a turnbuckle each corner. LA Knights does his signature pose. AJ does his pose, and you see Grayson Waller at the entrance ramp just looking at in fear because now he has to deal with LA Knight, a man that he took out a couple months ago. So this tells you that Grayson Waller and LA Knight's feud isn't over, not by a long shot. If anything, it just reignited itself. And that is your NXT highlights of the week. Now it's time for your AEW highlights of the week. But before I get to those, I want to recap AEW's Battle of the Belts, which happened last Saturday. That was their uh, Saturday special event. Uh, first match of the night was Sammy Guevara going against Dustin Rose for the interim TNT Championship. Sammy Guevara wins the match by hitting Dustin with the GTH. This was a solid match. It gave this match had a whole lot of time. Dustin was able to make Sammy slow down and even had some rest spots for Dustin. Even at one point, Dustin hit Sammy with a Canadian Destroyer through a table outside of the ring. But again, good solid match. Sammy Guevara is your interim TNT champion. And after the match, you had Daniel Garcia get in the ring and start getting in the face of Sammy. And ultimately, this led to them having a match on Dynamite for the interim TNT championship. After this match, we had the FTW championship match. Matt Seidel going against Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks win the match whenever he was able to hit the spear on Matt Seidel, then hit the Rochambeau for the win. You had Matt Seidel take, not take a whole lot of punishment. You had Ricky take a whole lot of punishment for Matt Seidel in that match. Matt Seidel shouldn't have gotten off that much offense on Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is a part of Team Taz. Team Taz needs to be feared. It needs to be that group that just be lurking in the background that could take you out at any moment, especially with Taz being like the mouthpiece and Taz being a dangerous guy, and even when you got Hook on your squad, who everybody loves Hook, you would think Team Taz members, Will Hobbs and Ricky Starks, would be getting, uh, well, being able to put the damage on people. That didn't happen in that match with Starks and Matt Seidel. Starks took a whole lot of punishment, but he was able to hit Matt Seidel with a spear and a Rochambeau for the win, but I mean, that's all that counts at the end of the day, right? Then in the main event, Riho going against Britt Baker for the AEW Women's Championship. Uh, Britt Baker wins the match by submission whenever she was actually able to hit the locked jaw and make Riho tap out. During the match, Riho had to fight off all three women, Jamie Hayter, Rebel, and Britt Baker, but the numbers were too much for her, and Britt Baker got the submission off. But it did look like there were some tense moments between Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker in the end after the match. Jamie Hayter grabbed the belt from Rebel and Tried to give it off to Britt Baker. Britt took it, and Jamie hugged Britt. Britt hugged her back. So it looks like we're still cool between those two, but you can see the cracks really forming between Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. And whatever that, like, dissolution happens, whenever Jamie finally punches Britt Baker and really, like, walks her back towards Britt Baker, because Britt's going to be a babyface. I see that happening. Jamie Hayter's not going to be the babyface in this situation. Britt Baker's going to be that. And whenever that happens, that's going to be great because the fans are already loving Britt and they love chanting for Britt. So it's only like the most common thing for her next, to be honest with you. And well, technically after Thunder Rosa gets done with Mercedes Martinez, then she'll go against Britt Baker. And then that's whenever we'll see the split between Jamie and Britt. That's just my personal opinion. But anyway, that was the AEW Battle of the Belts. Now it's Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with Adam Cole and Red Dragon getting in the ring. Adam Cole uh, says that 2021 has been a great year for all three of them, but 2022 will be a better one. 
Cole then has to let people know that he hasn't been pinned or submitted since he's gotten into AEW. And he is also the number one out on the top five for the men's singles championship. So either he can go after the world championship or the TNT championship. He also mentions that Red Dragon are the baddest team on God's green. And as soon as he says this, out comes the Young Bucks because the Young Bucks are the greatest tag team in AEW. At least that's what the Young Bucks think. And that's what a lot of people still think. But getting to the point here, Matt comes down to the ring and says that he didn't get an invite to join this party. And he tells, and he ends up thanking them for basically the invite as a shrewd thing. Kyle Riley grabs the mic and says, nobody invited them before either too, and that they didn't need uh, the Young Bucks help to beat up the Super Friends. And he's calling the best friends the Super Friends. Matt then tells Kyle Riley and Red Dragon, well, Kyle Riley and Bobby Fish this, that um, AEW is their company and that they are the longest reigning tag team champions in company's history and don't they forget it. And that this year, their resolution is to win back the tag team championships. Kyle tells them, hey, it's funny. We're here to do the same thing. We're here to win the tag team championships too. Bobby then tries to tell Young Bucks that there's not a single tag team that can stop them from getting the tag team titles, and that includes the Young Bucks. Adam has to quickly get in between them and says, and this is what we need right here. This right here is what we need. We need friendly competition because this is what makes us the greatest faction in all AEW history because you got guys in the back and he says like the best friends and they're nothing but slouches. And as soon as he says the best friend's name, here they come out. You have Chuck, Wheeler Yuta, Orange Cassidy, Trent, and Britt, not Britt, but Chris Statlander coming out. They're getting in the ring and... Adam Cole looks at Orange Cassidy and tells him that he isn't going to do anything. And then Orange Cassidy jumps on Adam Cole. And now you got everybody fighting each other. You got Young Bucks going after Trent and Chuck. You got uh, Red Dragon going after Wheeler Yuta. And you still have Orange Cassidy going after Adam Cole. Adam Cole is looking to hit Chuck Taylor. No, not Chuck Taylor. Orange Cassidy with a super kick. But Chris Stanlander then gets in the way. And this sets up for Britt Baker to come down and attack Chris Statlander and then lays out Chris Statlander with a curb stomp. And then she helps Adam Cole hit Orange Cassidy with a super kick. And then he sets up Orange Cassidy, hits him with the boom, the running knee to the back of the head. And then he does his signature, like leaning in for, uh, for the Young Bucks to give him a peck on both sides of his cheek. But Britt Baker comes in, stops them, and she kisses her boyfriend, Adam Cole, instead. And now you have Adam Cole basically on top of the world, standing there with his girlfriend by his side, Britt Baker, the Young Bucks, and Red Dragon. So this looks like this is going to be a dysfunctional big supergroup, but we'll see how long this supergroup really does last with the tension between the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. Later in the night, we will get all this big super group in a backstage promo and well ultimately that comes out of this backstage promo is that next week on AEW Dynamite it'll be a mixed tag team match. Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander going against Adam Cole and the AEW women's champion Britt Baker. After this, we now get our first match of the night and it's Warlow with MJF in his corner going against CM Punk. CM Punk was able to win the match whenever he was able to 
hit a inside crater on Warlow to beat him. But before any of that happened, Warlow had the match won whenever he hit CM Punk with the first powerbomb. And then he starts hitting him with more powerbombs. He hit him with about a good four or five, and then he was about to pin him. And then MJF is yelling at Warlow, don't you pin him yet. Give him another one. Warlow looks at MJF like, I, I have the match won. MJF tells him, do what I pay you to do. What do you get paid for? So Warlow gets CM Punk up again. And CM Punk at this time, he is all banged up. He can't even defend himself. He gets hit with another powerbomb. Warlow looks at MJF. MJF says, do it again. Hits him with another powerbomb. And now you see CM Punk rolling to the outside of the ring. And Warlow goes to grab him. But MJF has to stop Warlow and tells him, uh-uh. And you see MJF go to the timekeeper's table, clear everything off the timekeeper's table, and he tells Warlow to put CM Punk through that table. Warlow is not happy at this, and he just looks at MJF, and MJF is saying, who are you, getting, who, who are you looking at? What do you get paid for? Powerbomb. Warlow grabs up Punk, powerbombs him through the table. Punk is now visibly beat down. He can't do nothing Warlow's back in the ring. The referee's counting. He's at six, and MGF is just taunting CM Punk, telling him to quit, quit. Punk doesn't quit. He starts crawling towards the ring, and he beats the count before he gets to 10. Punk's in the ring. MGF then gets back on the ring apron and demands Warlow to hit him with another powerbomb. Warlow looks at MGF, and he's reluctant, but he slowly grabs CM Punk, but Punk was able to hit the inside cradle and roll up Warlow for the win, so Punk is still an undefeated man in AEW. After the match, Punk's out of the ring, and MGF's in the ring with Warlow, and MGF is pissed off, and Warlow is mega pissed. He looks at MJF with the intent, like, yo, if Ice can kill, Warlow would have killed MJF right there. I mean, oh boy, oh boy. You see MJF starts putting his finger right in Warlow's chest, like, who do you think you are? You can never win the big matches when it counts. I mean, he just really just start needling him in the chest. Warlow grabs MJF's hand, and he just slowly starts to twist it. You can tell that he's putting force into it. And you see MJF lose that hot-headedness, and he's trying to cool it, boil it up. I say, hey, hey, big man, big man, big man. Sean Spears has to run into the ring and separate the two, and he tries to calm him down. And he's looking at Warlow, hey, hey, big guy, hey, it's okay. It's only one match. We'll be all right. We'll be okay. Warlow's turning out of the ring. He's walking up the ramp, and you see MJF falling behind him, and he's trying to say something, but Sean has to turn around and look at MJF, tell him to relax. And he's trying to cool down Warlow at the same time. Because remember, War <sighs> Warlow is the powerhouse of the Pinnacle. Without Warlow, the Pinnacle can take on a big old massive attack from anybody without their muscle. Again, this might be playing up to a bigger thing. Brian Cage might come back to take over the Warlow spot. This might be setting it up for it. Because Warlow is going to jump from jump the ship of the Pinnacle. It's going to happen. And the only person I can think of right now to take his spot is Brian Cage. Brian hasn't been on AEW television for months. And that's the only person I personally would be happy to see to take his spot because Warlow is an incredible athlete, sure. But Brian Cage, he has muscle, athleticism, backflips, all this type of stuff, the speed. He's good. 
And he didn't get a fair shake in Team Taz to me. And it's not because Team Taz, it's because the AEW, like, backstage, somebody did something out the way. I don't know what happened with them with Brian Cage, but Brian Cage hasn't gotten a fair shake in AEW, not to me, at least for me. So I would be happy to see Brian Cage take over the Warlow spot, but we'll have to see whenever that happens. After this, we get another matchup. It's Powerhouse Hobbs with Ricky Starks in his corner going against Dante Martin. Dante Martin was able to win the match by pinfall when Jay Lethal comes out there to stop Ricky Starks from trying to cheat again in the match because earlier Ricky Starks attacked uh, Dante Martin on the outside of the ring when the referee wasn't looking. Uh, Towards the end of the match, Will Hobbs is in the ring. He's kind of trying to fight back against Dante because Dante got the one up on him. Dante is about to hit his springboard uh, double moons, double springboard and moonsault, which they call the nosedive. But Ricky Starks tries to grab him, but Jay Lethal pops out. He comes down from the ring uh, ramp and like pushes Ricky Starks away. So Dante can hit the nosedive on Will Hobbs to win the match. And he grabs Dante Martin up after the match and drags him to the back. So Jay Lethal's on the side of Dante Martin now against his fight with Team Taz. So this gives Jay Lethal something to do on television. I'm happy to see that. Jay Lethal is a credible talent on the AEW roster. And Dante Martin, again, is a young rising star that they want to showcase into the future. So I'm great to see Jay Lethal with uh, Dante Martin. I'm glad to see Dante Martin with somebody now because Leo Rush hasn't been on television for a minute. Whenever he comes back, it'll be Leo with Jay Lethal probably going against uh, Team Taz. I'm not sure they're going to have Hook in that six-man matchup, maybe. But we'll see if that ever comes to that. We'll just have to see. Anyway, after this, we get backstage uh segment of Chris Jericho with uh, the Inner Circle without Sammy Guevara. So it's him, Proud and Powerful, and Jake Hager. They say that um they're here to back up Sammy Guevara tonight in this match against Damian, uh, Daniel Garcia for the interim TNT Championship. Uh, Eddie Kingston then pops up and tells Chris Jericho he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care what Jericho is going to do. He tells Jericho, listen, I'm going to be out there, and if 2.0 gets out, get in the way, I'm going to beat them up. Jericho then has to sidestep. Kingston tells him, listen, I'm going to be out there to watch Sammy Guevara's back because he's one of our brothers here. And if 2.0 gets in our way, gets in Sammy's way, I'm going to beat up 2.0. And if you get in my way, Kingston, I'm going to beat you up as well. Kingston says, I dare you. I dare you to. And then you see Santana has a game between Jericho and Kingston and tell them, listen, we got to get crap together, all right? And then he walks away. Eddie looks at Ortiz and says, Monkey, come on, man. You going to, you, you picking him. You picking Jericho. Ortiz just throws his hands in the air and says, Listen, hey, man, y'all got to figure that out. And then he walks away. So it seems to me that Eddie Case and Chris Jericho are on their way to get into an on course collision with each other with Jericho and Kingston. I hope that's about a good seven or eight minute match because, again, Kingston is his old age. He needs. I'm not saying that Kingston can't have a good match. And that's never what I'm trying to say. Never try to disrespect Kingston here. Because he's able to have good matches with individuals. However, I just think that him and Jericho just need to have a 10-minute match. Call it quits after that. Don't need to be longer than that. All right? After that, we get MGF storming back to the, storming back to the um, entrance stage. Gets on the mic. 
he congratulates CM Punk, but says that that doesn't mean nothing. You only beat a smuck. So he's still downgrading Warlow, even with congratulating CM Punk. He says that Punk got a fluke victory over an oaf. Yes, that's the correct word. Over an oaf, not a smuck. And MGF says that next week, he will personally make sure that Punk will get his first L on AEW. He says next week, he will get the match that everybody wants to see. And he says that next week, CM Punk will go against Sean Spears. Again, you got MJF ducking. So this is what we're going to get. Punk going against Sean Spears next week on AEW. Dynamite. Uh, Adam Page then comes out. He says that for the past two months, he spent 90 minutes in the ring against one of the best in the world, meaning Daniel uh, Brian Danielson, talking about he poured blood, sweat, and tears into the ring all for the championship. Page says, however, 90 minutes isn't enough, and he says that he needs a new challenger. Then you hear the voice of Dan Lambert comes out, and Page says, oh my God, someone shoot me. Dan Lambert comes out, and he starts talking about listing off all these other cowboys, like Cowboy Bill Watts, uh, Dick Murdoch, all these other cowboys and saying how somebody like Adam Page is the new millennium cowboy and he it makes him sick. He then congratulates on uh, Adam Page for having a great match with Brian Danielson, saying that's some of the best wrestling he has ever seen. And he even gives respect to Page for doing things the right way and not doing things the Cody Rose way with backstage politicking and saying that he's earned his respect. They get into some back and forth here and there, and Dan Lambert says that everything that uh, Heyman Page is doing isn't cowboy crap. Page then has to go down his resume and say, hold up, living on living with cattle isn't cowboy crap. Turning down a six-figure contract to start a new company isn't cowboy crap. And then you see Hangman Page get into Dan Lambert's face, and it seems to me like he wants to just start beating up on Lambert. But then out of the blue, Lance Archer music hits. He busts down to the ring and he grabs up Dan Lambert. And you can see Lambert is scared and he tries to tell Lance Archer, don't hit me, don't hit me. You got the champion in the ring. Why would you try to beat me up? It doesn't make sense. Da 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 da. Don't do it, please God. And then Archer lets go of Lambert and he just starts pounding on uh, Hangman Page. He even at one point then goes to get a chair, sets it up, and then hits the blackout on the chair and leaving the champion laid out. So Lance Archer is the next man up for the AEW World Championship. And Lance Archer hasn't been seen since his match with, I believe, what, Kingston on the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament. And that was probably right around, what, October-ish? So it's good to see uh, Lance Archer back in the ring, and also it's good to see him back in the main event like Patriot because I see that's where Lance Archer should be. He should be a main event guy, and if not, set him up for the TNT Championship reign. One or the two. So I'm glad to see him in the main event spot. After this, we have Arn Anderson in the back with his son and Lee Johnson. He says how they're in the Horseman country, and then out of nowhere, Tully Blanchard shows up with FTR, and he tells them to ditch Deadweight, which is Arn Anderson, and join up with Tully Blanchard. Uh, Brock and Lee Johnson say, nah, they're still with Arn Anderson. Then FTR suggests a tag team match 
against Lee and Brock Anderson. Brock tells FTR you're on. So next week we're going to get FTR going against Lee, Shoddy Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson. And you know they're going to have Arn Anderson in his son's corner. And then you know Tully Blanchard is going to be in FTR's corner. This should be a good match, but we shall see what happens when it gets there. After this, Hikaru Shida has her match against Serena Deed. As Shida comes down to make her way to the entrance, Serena Deed attacks her from behind, from behind and starts taking out her knee and continues to beat her up. She throws her into the steel steps, and she gets an advantage before the bell rings. Hikaru Shida decides to still continue with the match, so we have Shida going against Serena Deed. Serena Deed wins the match by referee stoppage because Serena has uh, Shida locked into a submission, and... Sheeta does not want to tap out, but the referee assaults what he has to see, and he knows that uh, Sheeta isn't going to tap out, so he has to call the match off. Serena then goes outside and decides to grab a kendo stick and beat down more on Sheeta's injured uh, knee until officials have to come down and pull Serena away from Sheeta, and that's where that leads off from there. After this, we get a backstage statement of Jurassic Express, and they're talking about how they're ready to defend their championships against any tag team in the top five. The Dark Order members, John Silver and Alex Silver, John Silver and Alex Reynolds walk up to them and say that they want to have a match against Jurassic Express on Rampage. They make it official, so that's the match that we get. After this, it's time for Matt Hardy to go against Penta El Zero Miedo. Matt Hardy loses the match to Penta when Penta was able to hit him with the Fear Factor, which is basically a package pile driver, to win the match. After the match, Penta gets on the microphone and he says that he's going after Malachi Black and he's going to teach Malachi Black some respect. The lights go out, Black shows up, you start seeing Black hit Alex first and then you see Penta and Malachi go at it and Malachi gets the best of Penta and he tries to rip off Penta's mask, but then you see the Varsity Blondes with Julia Hart coming out. Julia is still wearing the eye patch, by the way. The Varsity Blondes are able to jump on Malachi Black and start beating up on him until Julia Hart tells them to stop, and everybody's, like, confused by this. They stop beating up on Malachi Black, and Malachi just starts counting off. He counts off on Brian. He says one, and then he turns to Griff. He says two, and then he turns to Penta, and he says three. And then the lights go out. And now we're all waiting. You even hear some fans start chanting Brody King. Brody King. The lights pop up. Who's there? Brody King. Brody King is there and he wastes no time. He starts taking out Penta and the Varsity Blondes. Malachi Black gets up and he helps out Brody beat up on all three of the other men. So now we have Brody King finally in AEW. And he's right beside his tag team partner on the Independence. More notably... PWG, Malachi Black, so they're now an official tag team, and I expect them to be in some tag team matches somewhere down the line very, very soon. After this, we get the Acclaim going against Bear Country. The Acclaim winning the match whenever uh, Max Caster was able to hit the mic drop on Bear Bronson and pin him to win the match. After the match, the Acclaim start walking their way up the ramp. And as soon as they start walking their way up, it, the lights go out and Sting's music starts to hit. So Sting is coming out. Sting is coming out to get some retribution on the Acclaim for beating up on him a couple weeks ago. And out from behind, they're attacked by Darby Allen as well. 
So now you got Darby and Sting beating up on the Acclaim. They throw him into the ring. Uh, Darby hits uh, Max Caster with his skateboard. And then Sting uses his bat on Anthony Bowens. Then Sting hits Bowens with a Scorpion Death Drop. And Tony Khan makes it official that next week on Dynamite, it will be the Acclaim going against Sting and Darby Allin. Uh, we go backstage, we see Matt Hardy frustrated. He talks about how he's been focusing more on the HFO instead of himself. And he says it's time for things to change. And we see Andrade appear with his handler. Andrade tells Matt that you're a businessman, I'm a businessman, and we can negotiate a deal some way, somehow. Matt says, okay, let's do that. Let's head to my office. Private Party's behind Matt, but Matt tells Private Party, listen, you guys stay there. This isn't for you guys. And that's all we get. So next week on Dynamite, we'll probably see something new with Andrade, maybe. Probably Private Party's with Andrade, maybe. Somebody's with Andrade. We'll, we'll see what happens. Now it's time for the main event. Sammy Guevara defending his interim TNT Championship against Daniel Garcia. And just as promised, Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho were at ringside for the match. And Eddie Kingston and Jericho did do what they said they were going to do. They were going to beat up on 2.0. And 2.0 did show up. And they jumped on Jericho and Kingston. Despite that, Sammy Guevara was still able to beat uh, Daniel Garcia by hitting him with a GTH to win the match by pinfall. This was a good match between Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. Daniel Garcia was able to showcase what he could do still more in the ring whenever it's just focus on him in the ring with somebody else. Not a six-man, not a tag team match, just him one-on-one against somebody else. You can still see what Daniel Garcia is capable of doing, and I can't wait to see them finally unleashing Daniel Garcia when he actually has a chain wrestling match either against somebody like a Daniel Bryan or AEW working with Ring of Honor maybe to get Jonathan Gresham to get Jonathan Gresham in here or even see Daniel Garcia going against somebody like a Lee Moriarty. Again, great match between Sammy and Daniel Garcia. Sammy still wins this, so we're going to see Sammy go against Cody Rhodes somewhere down the line. And it was announced also that Cody will be appearing on AEW Dynamite next week because he is now uh, out of the COVID parameters because, well, he was not able to go be around at Battle of the Belts because he had to stay within the parameters. So more or less, he got in contact with somebody that probably had COVID. So just to make everybody safe, he had to keep himself isolated. So there you go. After the match, Jericho and Kingston beat up Moral 2.0. Jericho gets his bat. He beats up on both of the guys. Jericho and Kingston get in each other's face. They're about to fight each other, but a, a referee gets in between them. So it's showing you that Jericho and Kingston are going to be fighting somewhere down the line. Anyway, that is your AEW highlights of the week now it's time for impact wrestling before i get to that let me read off the uh, results from their hard to kill pay-per-view first match of the night was the ultimate x for the number one contender shot at the knockouts championship tasha Steeles defeated alicia chelsea green jordan grace lady frost and rosemary after tasha and chelsea green had the ultimate X on while well, they were all grappling with it. And then Tasha Steele was the one to basically pull it away from Chelsea and drop to the mat with it. So she's number one contender for the knockouts championship. After this, we had Trey Miguel going against Steve Macklin for the impact exhibition championship. Remember, this is Steve Macklin's last time to challenge for that championship. As long as Trey Miguel has it, 
And that's going to be the last time Steve Macklin is ever going to be able to challenge for it as long as Trey has it, because Trey does defeat Steve Macklin by pinfall. So Trey Miguel is still your X Division champion. After this, we had Jonathan Gresham, who was the Ring of Honor World Champion, come to Impact to defend the championship against Chris Sabin. And Jonathan Gresham does do that. He beats Chris Sabin to retain the Ring of Honor World Championship. After this, we had Josh Alexander defeat Jonah. He made Jonah submit. Uh, after this, we had the hardcore war between the teams of Heath, Rhino, Rich Swan, Willie Mack, and Eddie Edwards going against the team of the Good Brothers and Violence by Design. Heath, Rhino, Rich Swan, Willie Mack, and Eddie Edwards beat the Good Brothers and Violence by Design in the hardcore war. However, after the match, we had some intruders popping into the ring. We had Ring of Honor's own Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, PCO, and Vincent coming to the ring to beat up on Heath, Rhino, Rich, Willie, and Eddie Edwards. And they were led by Maria Canellis, who is Mike Bennett's wife. And you are going to see more of them on the Impact Wrestling uh, episode that I'm going to be covering as well. After this match, we have Moose defeating Matt Cardona and W. Morrissey to retain his Impact World Championship. And in the main event, we had Mickey James defending her Impact Knockout Championship against Deanna Peraza in a Texas Death Match. And Mickey James beat Deanna to retain the Knockouts World Championship. So that means she's going to be going into the Royal Rumble with the Impact Knockouts World Championship as well. Now, with all that out of the way, let's talk about what happened on Impact this week. W. Morrissey comes out at the beginning of Impact, and he's looking for Moose. He goes out to the ring, and he starts calling Moose out because at Hard to Kill, W. Morrissey had Moose beat dead rights, but the referee was down. And as the referee was down, W. Morrissey covered Moose, and he had Moose pinned straight to the count of 10. The referee wasn't around, so this allowed Moose to basically get up and do what he had to do to retain the world championship. So W. Morrissey isn't happy about this. He calls Moose out. Moose doesn't come out. Morrissey says that he is going to still be here until Moose basically comes out. Moose doesn't come out, but Moose does show up on the screen. Moose tells Morrissey that I didn't see you as a complainer, but I'm wrong. Moose tells Morrissey that, you know what? There will be a world title match here tonight, but you won't be a part of it. Moose says that he will be choosing his own opponent tonight, but Morrissey can watch and see why Moose is the greatest world champion in wrestling. After that has been said, Morrissey gets on the mic once again and tells Moose that, yeah, there will be no title match tonight if I get to you first. So Morrissey leaves the ring. He goes directly to the back, but he's met by Scott Demore. Scott tells Morrissey that he's already signed off on Moose's world title match tonight and tells Morrissey not to get involved tonight. Morrissey tells Scott that he should be getting a title shot at Moose first before anybody, because you saw what happened at Hard to Kill. Scott says, I saw it, and you're right. You should be getting a world title shot, but you're not going to have it tonight. And do not interfere with Moose, all right? Then, as soon as Morrissey's about to talk to Scott again, Scott gets a message on his earpiece, and he's informed about something happening in the arena right now. And they pan back to the camera angle to the ring and you see Matt Taven at the commentary table and he's right next to Tom Phillips. Well, WWE's Tom Phillips. He wasn't WWE until he got released earlier this week. He has a new last name. I don't remember the last name, but his name is still Tom. Tom and he tells D'Lo to give him his headset. D'Lo's reluctant in doing this, but D'Lo does give Matt Taven his headset. Matt Taven then asks Tom to give up his headset, but as soon as he's doing this, D'Lo grabs Matt on the shoulders but Matt doesn't like that D'Lo's doing this, so 
out from the crowd, Mike Bennett and Vincent attacked D'Lo Brown. They started attacking him, and they even put him on a table. So PCO, who's now in the ring, gets on the top turnbuckle, and he gets on the top rope, and he does a swanton off of that onto D'Lo, crashing through the table. And they leave the arena because now you got backstage officials coming down to check on D'Lo. And this won't be your last time seeing them on Impact tonight. Just a heads up reminder. After this, we get our first one-on-one match of the night. It's Chris Bay going against Laredo Kid, And Trey Miguel is a special like guest commentator for this match with Tom. And Laredo Kid wins the match by pinfall whenever he's able to hit the Spanish fly off the top turnbuckle with him and Chris Bay for the win. It was a great match between the two. I I want to say I would like to see these two wrestle again. I would love to. If you could throw some type of stipulation in, in between them, like the two out of three falls match between the two, or some type of Iron Man between the two, or even a number one contenders match, I know that they will blow this match out of the water as well. But again, this match was a great match to open up Impact. After this, we get a backstage promo, well, backstage segment with Rhino, Heath, Eddie Edwards, Rich One, and Willie Mack, and they're talking about how uh, they didn't like what happened to D'Lo Brown. They didn't like that these ROH guys are here, so they decided to make up a plan. They're going to split up. You had Rich and Willie Mack being one squad. You had Rhino and Heath being another squad, and Rich noticed this. Well, technically, Willie Mack noticed this and asked, Eddie, what are you going to do? Because you're by yourself. Eddie Edwards... Has, says he's not by himself, and he has a Kindle stick in hand. So, they split up. After this, we get our first, we, now we get our second match of the night, is Jake something going against newcomer in Impact Wrestling, Speedball Mike Bailey. He had a name, he is a name on the independent circuit, but the main thing that people, it was highlighted on commentary that Mike Bailey was um, not allowed to be in the U.S. for five years. I didn't go into it. But that was the thing. He couldn't be allowed in the U.S. for five years. I think, like, his work visa got, like, gypped from him. So, with that kind of situation, I think you can't work in the U.S. And for his case, he couldn't work in the U.S. for five years. So, now that he's signed to Impact Wrestling, he can work in the U.S. So, again, um, he's also the Mad Men Fulton commentary for this match. And Mike Bailey wins the match by pinfall when he gets on the second turnbuckle and hits a shooting star's double knees to the back of Jake something's back and then covers him for the pin. Again, another match. Another great match here. You had Jake something demonstrating his power against speedball Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey uses speeds. He's known for his striking ability as well. These two had great chemistry in the ring. I wouldn't be mad to see those two go against each other again as well. After this, we get a backstage segment of the Good Brothers and Violence by Design talking about how they lost that hard to kill. Eric reminds them that this is a business agreement and that they're all together just to take out the teams of Willie Mack and Rich and Heath and Rhino. And then as soon as you hear Heath and Rhino come out of their mouth, you hear people talking about how Heath and Rhino are laid out that you need somebody to come and check out, check them out. You see Violence by Design and Good Brothers run over to check on Heath and Rhino because they know that Ring of Honor guys are here. So once they check on them and they're asking Heath and Rhino, are they okay? And it looks like they're really like genuine to make sure they're okay. They don't care about that. They just start prowling and attacking on Heath and Rhino as well. So this is still a business agreement. Good Brothers and Violence by Design are still on the prowl to beat up all the tag teams just until it's down to those two. After this, it's time for Marsha Slamovich to have her match against a Vert Vixen, and there's no need for this. 
Masha wins the match by pinfall. She does it quickly. She has a couple of strikes. She pulls Vert by her hair multiple times. She's able to hit the Northern Lights bomb for the win. And that's it. It was really a very quick one-sided match. Masha is just a complete monster. And I like how they're trying to like showcase her to the world. After this, we had Josh Alexander coming down for his in-ring promo. He talks about how people for months have been telling him how he needs to get his emotions in check. Josh mentions that they're telling him this so he can get another shot at Moose. Josh then rattled off the names of people that he has beaten so far. He's talking about Minoru Suzuki and at Hard to Kill Jonah. And he talks about how he all this, going through all this, he still hasn't lost focus of his main goal. And that's to get at Moose in the World Championship because he hasn't forgotten about what Moose did to him at Bound for Glory, beating him in front of his wife and child. Josh then declares himself as the uncrowned world champion, and he does this until Moose decides to beat him. He calls out Moose for ducking him and giving out championship matches to guys like Zicky Dice, and yes, that's Moose's uh, opponent for tonight, Zicky Dice. And he tells Moose that until you beat me, you are not a real world champion. And he starts questioning and stopping himself. He says, you know what? If I don't get a world title match, I don't know if Impact's a place for me. Then music hits, and the camera pans over to the entrance stage, and on the Titantron, you see the name Charlie Haas pop up. And yes, it's the same Charlie Haas who was teaming up with Shelton Benjamin in 2002 and 2003 as one half of the world's greatest tag team. That was him and Shelton's tag team name. And they were a great tag team, too. They still were a great tag team, even in Ring of Honor, whenever they did Ring of Honor, I think in 2011, 2010-ish. And even they won the Ring of Honor World Championships, World Tag Team Championships there too, by the way. Anyway, Charlie Haas goes to the ring. He tells Josh that he has uh, been watching Josh and him and Josh are basically the same thing, same people. How in Josh and Charlie are wrestlers that have to know reversals, out of reversals, out of reversals. Basically, they are students of the game. They got to know everything. He mentions how him and Josh were a part of two great tag teams. He mentions how he was a part of a world greatest tag team and how Josh was a part of a great tag team in Impact Wrestling. Charlie Haas then throws out a challenge to Josh for a match. Josh tells Charlie that everybody knows who you are, but you're going to have to wait until I get my world title first. And then after that, you can have your match with me. Josh tells Charlie that if I don't get the world title, then he will see Charlie as another obstacle in his way to getting that world championship. Charlie tells Josh that that's when you're wrong. I see you as an obstacle. And then punches Josh in the face. Now you got these two throwing shots at one another. And security comes down to separate the two. And they do so. Josh gets back on the mic and he tells Charlie that you want this match so bad? You know what? You can have it. You can have it next week. So we're going to get Charlie Haas having his Impact Wrestling debut match against Josh Alexander next week on Impact. After this, we go to backstage locker room segment. Roxy, who is the Ring of Honor World's Women's Champion. She's getting herself ready because in the main event of Impact, she has to defend that in a title versus title match against Deanna Perrazzo for her AAA Reyna Del Rey's Women's Championship. Mickey comes in there and she gives Roxy some advice. She tells her that Deanna Perrazzo is literally one of the hardest working women in the wrestling right now. As a matter of fact, she's one of the hardest working women she's ever faced in that ring and tells Roxy that she needs to bring her A-game tonight to go against Deanna to even win against somebody like Deanna. Roxy takes all that into consideration, and she thanks Mickey for the advice. After this, now it's time for the world title match. 
Moose comes out in street clothes because he doesn't see Ziggy Dice as basically a challenge, and Ziggy Dice isn't. So we get to our world title match of Moose going against Ziggy Dice for the Impact World Championship. Brian Myers is on commentary for this, and this match lasts about a good, what, 20, 30 seconds? Ziggy Dice mocks Roman Reigns by doing this whole roaring setup, hit him with a Superman punch. And Moose doesn't feel that punch. He just looks at Ziggy Dice. He grabs him up, hits him with a Uranagi, slams him, put one foot on Ziggy's chest to win the match. After the match, W. Morrissey comes down to the ring and Moose is waiting for Morrissey. So you get these two big men slugging it out in the ring. But Morrissey gets the best of Moose and sends Moose out of the ring. Moose starts walking up the ramp. Then he turns around and he sees Morrissey holding up his world championship. Now you got VSK in the ring checking on Ziggy Dice, who is a part of uh, him and Ziggy are part of Brian Myers' learning tree. So VSK is checking on Ziggy, but then Morrissey sees VSK there, and he walks over to VSK, and this allows Moose to come down to the ring to grab his world title. He grabs the world title, walks up the ramp, he turns back to the ring, he sees VSK again chokeslammed by Morrissey, so this is letting Moose know that Morrissey is really looking after, well, not looking after, he's looking towards Moose for the world title. Morrissey then gets out of the ring. He starts following Moose to the back. Moose was able to get in a, in a car and then escape Morrissey. After this, we get a squash match. Plain and simple. Jonah going against Raj Singh. Scott DeMore is on commentary for this match. Jonah beats him easily by hitting him with a big body splash from the top turnbuckle. Again, it was another one-sided match. Point blank. Uh, after this, we get the influence, which is... Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood and Kayla Whitaker talking about how the inspiration weren't at hard to kill and how they're lazy, they're ducking them. Ultimately, we're going to get a match next week where Decay goes against the influence next week. But the main thing out of this is that we hear that Eddie Edwards got taken out, so Eddie Edwards is down. So basically, the last team, the technically the, the Ring of Honor guys haven't got to now is Rich Juan and Willie Mack. After this, we get the Ring of Honor World Champion, Jonathan Gresham, being interviewed backstage. He's asked about knowing about any connection between Matt Taven's group and their cause of devastation here on Impact. Does he know anything about it? Did he set it up? Jonathan tells the interviewer that I have no connection to that group. As a matter of fact, I don't even know why they're doing this. I don't represent that. They don't represent Ring of Honor. I represent Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor is now pure. Ring of Honor has been unpure for a long time, and now, with me being as their world champion, is now pure. And I don't like what they're doing here in Impact. Steve Macklin then decides to go up towards Jonathan Gresham and tells him that he doesn't believe that Jonathan knows nothing about uh, Taven's group being here. Macklin then starts throwing more accusations towards Jonathan, and Jonathan tells Macklin, you know what, I know what you're doing, you want a shot at me, and you want a shot at this Ring of Honor world title, right? Macklin says, yeah. So Magdalene is now issued a Ring of Honor World Championship match with Jonathan Gresham next week, but it will be contested under peer rules. If you don't know what peer rules is, peer rules is basically you can't hit somebody with a closed fist. You only can like slap them and all that type of stuff, but you can still use wrestling holds. You can still slam somebody. You can still do all these things, but also you cannot like use the rope breaks. You only can use rope breaks three times if you out use your rope breaks you go over to three if you go to the ropes like your fourth time guess what that still doesn't stop the pin that still doesn't stop the submission it will still be in effect so you got to be careful of that 
Now it's time for the main event. Title for title. Ring of Honor World Champion Roxy defending her championship against the AAA Reina de Reyes champion, Deanna Peraza, who's also putting that championship on the line. Ian Riccoboni's on commentary, and also Matthew Raywalt is also on commentary as well for this match. Deanna wins the match by submission. When Deanna had Roxy in an arm bar, and the referee was about to call for the bell because Roxy was going unconscious, Roxy then sees the referee about to walk over and has his arm in the air. She grabs the ref by his leg to stop him, and the referee's looking at her, and she's just shaking her head at him like, don't do it, don't do it. So Deanna sees this. She grabs Roxy's other arm that's grabbing the ref, and now she has both of Roxy's arm, and now she's squeezing them and applying pressure onto him. So this is happening until Roxy basically nods her head to the referee, like, go ahead, call for the bell. So Roxy ends up forfeiting. So Deanna Perrazzo is still the AAA Reina del Rey's champion and also the new Ring of Honor Women's Champion. After the match, Deanna is handed both of her championships, but then Maria Canellis comes out and steps into the ring and tells Deanna to hand her that Ring of Honor Women's Championship. Deanna doesn't do so, so now Matt Bennett, well, Matt Taven, PCO, Vincent, and then Mike Bennett get into the ring and surround Deanna Perrazzo. Matthew sees this, Matthew Raywalt sees this, he leaves commentary uh, table, gets in the ring, and tries to stick up for Deanna Perrazzo because he's not going to allow four men to try to jump one woman. He gets in Vincent's face, and this leads to all four of the Ring of Honor guys to beat up on Matthew Raywalt. Deanna Perrazzo was able to sneak out of the ring still with both of her championships as Matthew was getting his butt beat. Willie Mack and Rich Wong come down to try to help Matt, but they end up getting their butt beat too because it's a numbers game, four on three. Four is always going to win. The last shot that you see of Impact Wrestling's of Matt Taven, Vincent, PCO, Mike Bennett, and Maria standing over all of them as a family, basically. So we're going to see a continuation of Ring of Honor guys still coming up into Impact and just basically cause havoc until we probably get like a good standard like Ring of Honor guys going against Impact guys at a one big event, and that's probably the big payoff for this. This was a good um Impact taping, well, good Impact episode. I would suggest you watch it. I really highly suggest you watch it. It might just be because I like the invasion angle from uh, another company jumping into another company. I always will be a nerd for that type of situation because you always get to see wrestlers that you don't know that you will always thought that maybe shouldn't mix it up in the ring, but they always had those company barriers be in between them. But now with Impact working with Ring of Honor, you're starting to see these guys jump into Impact, and this is only the beginning of it. If this is how the only guys that come out from Ring of Honor to come over to Impact, I'm going to say you're missing the boat on this. I'm hoping that they don't, but we shall see. Anyway, that is your Impact Wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's on to SmackDown. This episode of SmackDown was heavily focused on the history between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins since they have a match coming up at the Royal Rumble. And in the main event of SmackDown, it would be a face-to-face confrontation between Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. They did the usual... They didn't do uh, the usual WWE thing. Like, whenever somebody has a rivalry with each other and they show a video package and, like, a crucial moment of that history happens... And just so happens if a guy is or gal is out of the WWE company, they usually try to, like, never mention them in the storyline. Never mention, like, they were never there. For this, they didn't do that. They actually kept 
John Moxley, or better known as his WWE name, Dean Ambrose, actually in the story of Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, because there was no way you could literally like etch a sketch him out of the whole WWE the Shield like system. There was no way you could do that. And all the footage that they showed, they showed Seth, Dean, and Roman doing the fist bump deal, doing their whole Shield uh thing. And I was just glad to see this because WWE usually has a way there try to either neglect the person by never mentioning them or two, they find out a way because WWE has done this before where they magically poof, the guy was never there or the guy was never there, but I'm just happy they didn't do that with John Moxley. I'm just, that's one thing I can't say that WWE has really shocked me on this one that they didn't do that. If they were able to, I would have said that is so dumb, but I'm just glad that they didn't. Anyway, on to SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with the Usos in their in-ring promo. They are out here to gloat about beating the New Day last week to retain their SmackDown Tag Team Championships, but they do give the, uh, the Usos do give the New Day credit. They say that they are the only tag team that have ever pushed them to basically be this great, so they do give a head nod to the New Day. Then the Usos go back to claiming that they are the best tag team in WWE right now because they have the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. They talk about they're going to be introducing the competitors in this fatal four-way tag team match because the winners of this match will get a tag team championship opportunity down the line. They introduce Los Lotharios, which consists of Angel Garza and Humberto, uh, the team of Cesaro and Mansoor, who's basically just a team of two guys that he just threw together, a team of Jinder Mahal and Shanky, and the team of the Viking Raiders. They have this fatal four-way match, and the Usos are on the commentary. The Viking Raiders do win this match whenever they were able to hit the Viking experience on Humberto for the pinfall. This was a great fatal four-way match. They gave this team, this match, enough time for the people to actually care and for the crowd to actually get invested in the match and let these guys do what they wanted to do in the match. Not to go too crazy, but you were able to see the power of Cesaro, see the power of the Viking Raiders, actually have Jinder Mahal and Shanky actually pose a threat, and the Los Lotharios, they were actually able to do some stuff themselves here, so I suggest you go see this Fatal 4-Way Tag Team match, it was a good match. Um, after this, we get Naomi going into Sonya Deville's office, Sonya Deville is cold in there, she doesn't understand why it's so cold, Naomi throws a pot shot telling Sonya that is cold just like your heart, and Naomi asks Sonya Deville why is Sonya hating on her so much. We finally get an answer for this. Uh, Sonya tells Naomi that she doesn't like the way that Naomi carries herself like a main character, if you will, and says that Naomi really is nothing but a, um, what is it, not a main character, uh, the secondary character, if you will. She's not a main character, and Naomi knows this. Naomi wants to punch Sonya for this comment, but Sonya has to tell Naomi, you can't touch me because I'm wearing this suit, and as long as I'm wearing this suit, you can't touch me. Because if you do touch me, you can get fined, I could take you out of the rumble, or I can even fire you. So we get segments later in the night of Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville in their office, and now the temperature starts to get hot in there, so now they're feeling sweaty. Adam Pearce uh, tries to find somebody to like fix their, uh, what is it, thermo their thermometer or whatever the crap it is that they you have to mess with to make your house either cold or hot. He goes out of the office 
and Sonya takes off the jacket. And I realized at that moment, oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity for Naomi to pop in and punch Sonya Deville. And that's exactly what comes about. Naomi comes in, she sees Sonya Deville without her business jacket on. She says, now I can now I can get at you because you ain't got your jacket on now. And she's about to get at Sonya, but Adam Pierce quickly comes in between the two ladies. And Naomi has to let Adam know that, listen, Sonya has been messing with me. It's not fair. I know you guys see this. I had Charlotte beat last week. I want, I just want something. Naomi is given another shot at Charlotte next week. So Charlotte will go against Naomi again in a one-on-one match, a championship opportunities match. That's what they like to call it. Adam Pierce does give her that match. And he didn't tell Sonya not to interfere. He didn't say nothing. He just gave Naomi her match. More or less, we're probably going to see Sonya interfere next week. And hopefully, and I mean hopefully, soon we get Naomi putting her hands on Sonya Deville. Because I ain't going to front. It's irritating to me as a viewer to see Sonya just constantly screw over Naomi and screw over Naomi. This better lead to a big payoff for Naomi for getting screwed over so many months and being played out in front of the whole entire world while Sonya just kept on getting on her high horse. I ain't feeling it. I want Sonya to get her comeuppance. I want Naomi to really beat up on Sonya Deville. I do. That's just my personal preference. Anyway, after this, we get Sami Zayn coming out and talking about how he's the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship, but that has to be on the back burner for right now because he wants to talk about what happened to him last week at the hands of Johnny Knoxville. If you didn't see SmackDown last week, Johnny Knoxville from Jackass fame came out, and he said that he's going to be entering the Royal Rumble. Sammy tells him that you're not qualified for this. Just stay in the back. Don't You're not, you're not worth it, right? Johnny Knoxville ultimately... After Sami Zayn's match with Rick Boogs last week, he comes in, sneaks in the ring, and throws out Sami Zayn over the top uh, rope. The ring announcer then gets a message and say that Johnny Knoxville has qualified to be in the Royal Rumble, so Johnny Knoxville is now in the Royal Rumble match. That's your recap from what happened from last SmackDown with Johnny Knoxville and Sami Zayn. Sami mentions that he has now entered himself into the Royal Rumble match, and he talks about how Johnny Knoxville can't do what Sami Zayn does in the ring, but Sami Zayn can do what Johnny Knoxville does. And when he says this, he walks up and he has a small little ramp next to the ring. And on the other side of the ring, he has a black mat with an X on it. Sami Zayn is going to get in a shopping cart and have people push him at full capacity. And he's going to try to jump over the ring and hit the black mat. Now, the fans are clamoring for this because they want to see Sammy get hurt. And Pat McAfee's on commentary. My man is so happy to be seeing this. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait for this because he knows Sammy's going to get hurt. Sammy gets in the shopping cart. He has a helmet on. He has knee pads on. Johnny Knoxville never has none of those things, by the way. Uh, Sammy kind of plays a little bit of catch and go with this because the guys try to push him off. But Sammy tells him, no, I didn't count. One, two, three. He does the one, two, three thing. The guy start pushing him. He says, I didn't say go. So he does one, two, three, go. They push him off. He gets so close to the ramp. He has them pull him back and stop it right there. He tries to say, I'm going to get into the ring to check the mat over there to make sure the mat's there. And now the fans are booing this. Pat McAfee's on commentary said, Sami Zayn's a phony. And he's saying that Sami Zayn stinks. Pat McAfee. I just want to sidebar this. Pat McAfee is a great reason to watch SmackDown. Even if you don't watch professional wrestling. Even if you don't watch professional wrestling. 
Watch it just for Pat McAfee's commentary. He is literally a professional wrestling fan getting to do a job that a lot of professional wrestling fans would love to do on the commentary team. Just being able just to watch wrestling in person, just commentate and just say whatever you want to say that's coming towards your mind. Sure, Pat McAfee plays within the WWE lines, but majority of his commentary doesn't sound so robotic or sound so stiff as in which we've seen other commentators have before. Pat McAfee seems like a genuine WWE fan, a genuine wrestling fan, a guy that's just there just to enjoy himself. And that's what I like about Pat McAfee's commentary. He really is in tune with the people. Anyway, now back to Sami Zayn. Sami gets in the ring. He's checking out the mat on the other side. When he turns back to the side that has the ramp at the shopping cart, Rick Boogs is there, who, by the way, has a haircut. He doesn't have his long hair that's in the ponytail. No, they cut it, but he still has his hair, and he's able to slick it back, and I ain't going to front. I yelled, and I said, why would you cut this man's hair? It makes no sense. Now, if you know me personally, I am a man that doesn't care about hair. I shave my hair off completely all the way. I'm a bald-headed dude, and when my hair grows back, I cut it back again. Now, you might say to yourself, why do you care about hair? Well, when you're in a professional wrestling business or you're in a cosmetic business, you need to have hair. You need to have something that sticks you out, if you will. Rick Boogs looks like a guitar player whenever he had the hair up in a ponytail knot in his whole thing. That worked. That imagery worked for Rick Boogs. Now, with him having this cut hair with the slick back hair, if you will, that doesn't work with Rick Boogs with the guitar thing. It doesn't. I don't see it. I'm going to have to wait next week for him to do his gold guitar deal, his whole Nakamura shtick. But it just doesn't. I'm looking at it right now personally in my own head. It just doesn't. It doesn't work for me, fam. It doesn't work for me. Anyway, he's distracting Sammy Zane on the ring apron. Sammy is talking smack towards Rick Boogs while... This is happening. Nakamura sneaks into the ring and he's measuring up Sammy. So when Sammy turns around, he hits him with the Kinshasa and that's exactly what happens. Sammy turns around. Nakamura hits him with the Kinshasa. Then Rick Boogs picks up Sammy. Gorilla presses him over and out of the ring onto the black mask where Sammy was supposed to land. So Sammy eventually lands there, but but the help and assistance of Rick Boogs. After this, we get Natalia going against Aaliyah. And Natalia states that before this match happens, she wants to try to gain another Guinness Book World Record since she already has three. The three that she holds are the record of the woman that has competed in the most matches in WWE, the woman that has pre- uh, performed in more pay-per-views than any other female wrestler in WWE history, and the winningest woman in WWE history. The record was 641 matches she has won. The record that she's trying to beat here in this match is beating Aaliyah in the shortest match for a female in WWE, which was held by Trish Stratus for 3.8 seconds. She beats up Aaliyah before the match starts, and now the referee's checking on Aaliyah to see if she can still continue. Aaliyah says she can continue, but the referee is looking at her, and he noticed that she can't, so he tells the ring announcer Aaliyah cannot participate. She can't continue. Aaliyah is making her plea towards the ref, saying, I can compete, I can compete. So the referee decides for his discretion, fine, Aaliyah can compete. He tells the ring announcer, the ring announcer announces that Aaliyah will be able to compete in the match. So now Aaliyah is heading up face-to-face with Natalia, and then the referee now rings the bell. Aaliyah quickly 
rolls up Natalia, and she gets Natalia with the pin for 3.1 seconds, beating Trish's record. So now Aaliyah holds the record for the shortest women's match in WWE history with 3.1 seconds. And Natalia does get the record, but she's on the losing end of that record. So, I mean, she kind of gets what she wants. After this, we get Lita's in-ring promo. And Michael Cole does mention before he calls Lita out that this is Lita's first time on SmackDown in 20 years. So that would be in 2002, she was the last time on SmackDown. And to be honest with you, he's kind of right because I don't remember Lita so much on SmackDown like that. I remember all of her career basically being on Raw from her uh, competing for the Women's Championship when there was only one Women's Championship back in the early 2000s to her getting a relationship with Kane, to her getting a relationship with Edge, and then her eventually retirement. Yeah, she hasn't been on SmackDown. Anyway, Lita comes out, and the fans are chanting for Lita. She mentioned how this still gives her goosebumps. Cole says to Lita that the women in professional wrestling, the women in WWE, credit Lita as an inspiration for them, and he asks Lita why she's participating in the Royal Rumble. Lita tells Cole that she has done almost everything except win a Royal Rumble in main event WrestleMania, and that's what she plans on doing this year. Charlotte Flair comes out and takes a microphone away from Michael Cole and sends him out of his way back to the commentary team. Charlotte tells Lita that uh, she's going to throw Lita out of the ring and ruin this little run of hers that she thinks she's going to have. Lita tells Charlotte that she has a big head, meaning a big, gigantic ego. Charlotte mentions to Lita that she beat Trish, Lita's friend, in... 2019 at SummerSlam. Then Trish actually retired after this match. And Charlotte mentioned that she plans on retiring Lita once and for all after Royal Rumble and then asks Lita how she's going to deal with the humiliation after this. Lita acts like she's going to slap Charlotte, but she makes Charlotte flinch and then instead hits her with a twist of fate to end this segment. I understand what they're trying to do with Lita here. They're trying to make it seem like Lita has a chance to win the Royal Rumble. That's not going to happen because... I understand is what we're trying to do, build interest for it, but Lita isn't winning. I want, if anything, Bianca or Naomi. That would be the only way. Bianca, with her story of her getting back to Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship that she that she should have won, but technically that she, okay, that beating Becky Lynch in a match that she has already should have beaten Becky Lynch in 2021, the late 2021s, or Naomi to be this be the ultimate, like, revenge to Sonya Deville for trying to screw her over for so many months. That's the reason why I want either Naomi or Bianca Belair to win the Royal Rumble. Anyway, back to SmackDown. Sheamus goes against Ricochet. This match happens because Ricochet broke Ridge Holland's nose at day one in a pre-show match, in a tag team match, so Sheamus is here to get revenge on Rick uh, Ricochet for Ridge. Sheamus does this whenever he hits uh, Ricochet with a bro kick in Ricochet's mid-flip and catches him with a bro kick and covers him for the win. It was a good, solid match between Ricochet and Sheamus. They gave this enough time, and people cared for it. Again, once you give competitors that are capable of something like this enough time, fans will care, and they actually cared about this match, and we got a good, decent match out of these. Uh, after this, we get Kofi Kingston going against Madcap Moss with Happy Cor- Corbin in a Madcap uh, corner, but before the match begins, Kofi has to let the people know that King Woods is injured and he will miss the Royal Rumble. But have no fear, Kofi Kingston will be representing royalty in the Royal Rumble this year. So Kofi Kingston is now entered in the Royal Rumble. 
Madcap and Kofi has their match. Madcap wins the match by pinfall when he hits the punchline, which is a neckbreaker for the win. Eh, this was a filler. After this, we get the main event segment of SmackDown. Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins have their face-to-face. Roman is there, and he sees Seth Rollins stick out his fist to do the shield signal, but Roman tells Seth to his face that that's beneath him now. Seth then goes on to tell Roman how last week Roman had a face when he saw Seth last week and saying that I wasn't the person that you expected to meet because every time me and you have a championship match, it's always one-sided. I always win all of the matches. I have won all of them. Roman laughs and says Seth is talking about the past. He mentions out he's in God mode now, basically that the Roman that Seth did beat wasn't the Roman that he is now. He calls himself the greatest universal champion of all time, meaning he's the greatest to ever do this. Seth then gets back on the mic and decides to tell Roman that Roman hasn't done none of this without someone's help. And as he's listing off what Roman has done, Seth has to tell Roman that, yo, I went up from the rankings. I went from the bottom up by myself on the indies up to getting to WWE all by myself. While Roman, you were in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, and then you needed help from someone like myself and the bloodline to get to where you are. So you can't ever say that you really done this by yourself. Me, on the other hand, I have done this all by myself. Whenever the shield was around and I've sent you packing, I was good. I was able to move around in WWE. You still needed somebody's help. If he could have said Dean Ambrose's name, he would have said Dean Ambrose's name, but I'm pretty sure they couldn't say it without being in some hot water. So he had to say, you needed the bloodline's help. You see Roman start to get frizzled by this, and you see him gritting his teeth, and he starts pacing back and forth. He has to stop and collect himself and say that Seth's a clown because Seth's out here wearing a sparkling blazer. He's wearing all these funny outfits. Roman tells Seth that if it was up to him, he wouldn't have picked Seth to even wrestle at Royal Rumble because Seth isn't even in Roman's top 10. He tells Seth that you're not even the person in your household who I would have picked. And now you start seeing the camera point over to Seth and Seth starting to get looking down. He's starting to grit his teeth because now Roman's getting underneath Seth's skin. And he tells him, you're not even the star in your household. If I wanted to have a star quality, like marquee match at Royal Rumble, I would have picked your wife. In which he's talking about Becky Lynch, who out of the two, Becky is more successful in the media than Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is upset and he just looks at Roman and then he senses something's about to happen. So he quickly dodges out of the ring and he senses right because the Usos were right behind him about to attack him. So Seth dips out. He jumps on top of the commentary team. The Usos then get out of the ring and try to attack Seth again, but Seth is able to jump off the commentary team and then jump back into the ring, have a little face down with Roman, then quickly roll out of the ring and get onto the entrance ramp. The Usos get into the ring with Roman, and Roman's just looking there, standing there, being upset, gritting his teeth still. I mean, my man has some impeccable teeth, so gritting your teeth ain't gonna do good, bro. I know you got veneers, but dude, I'm not sure that you should be gritting your teeth with veneers, dog. Anyway, Seth is there uh, shouting at the entrance ramp that you shouldn't be li- that he's living rent free in Roman's head as SmackDown's going off. So the last thing image that you get is Seth basically getting the one upmanship on Roman on SmackDown. I have a feeling we're gonna get Roman popping up on Raw and basically like spearing Seth 
somewhere down the line, whether it be next week or the week after that, because they only got two more weeks technically until the Royal Rumble. So I have a feeling we're going to get Roman on Raw. If not, that is a completely wasted opportunity right there, because that's one way that you can easily build up. Because if Roman pops up on Raw and spears Seth, and then Seth comes back and like curb stomps Roman or beats up on the Usos so much or do something that can really frizzle Roman. Because Roman, this will be Roman's first legitimate match without Paul Heyman by his side, his special counsel, if you will. So Roman hasn't been without Paul by his side for a good solid year and a half. This is going to be new to Roman. Roman has to step out on his own. So this is going to be a good match, first and foremost, at the Royal Rumble, but it's going to be a different character twist and character thing for Roman in his uh, head-of-the-table situation. I can't wait to see it. I want to see it. I'm just telling you that we need to see Roman on Raw either next week or the week after that leading up to the Royal Rumble. If not, completely wasted opportunity. Now on to AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with Adam Cole with the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Britt Baker in this corner going against Trent Beretta with Chuck Taylor, Willa Yuta, Orange Cassidy, and Chris Statlander in his corner. Adam Cole wins the match by pinfall when he hits the boom, which is a running knee to the back of Trent Beretta's head and covers him to win the match. This was a good match between Trent and Adam Cole. It went back and forth. Towards the end of the match, you had both uh, men's group start attacking each other so basically it caused chaos towards the end of the match which led to adam cole getting the win again solid great match to open up rampage after this we get sean spears with warlow in his corner going against andrew everett this is a real quick match sean Spears wins the match by pinfall when he catches andrew in midair as he tries to hit a springboard attack he catches him hits him with a death valley driver then nonchalantly lays on him as the referee counts for the win. After the match, Sean gets on the microphone and talks directly towards CM Punk. He mentions how he's the guy that MJF sends to deliver a message. He's not there necessarily to beat CM Punk, if you will. He's just there to basically damage and hurt CM Punk. And that's the message that I basically got out of that. The crowd starts chanting for Warlow as uh, Sean is talking. But Sean lets Punk know that he isn't dealing with a one-move wonder with a couple years of experience under his belt, which is a direct shot towards Warlow. And Warlow's face kind of perks up, and he has like a, you kidding me, type face. But he has to quickly adjust that and be like, all right, cool. Spears let Punk know that he's going to be dealing with a 20-year ring uh, veteran who is pound for pound, one of the best going today. And he says that he's going to expose Punk next week on Dynamite. I see Punk and uh, Spears having a good match. Ultimately, it's going to lead to Punk getting a win over Sean Spears, and MJF's going to get pissed, and we're ultimately going to get MJF going against Punk more or less at Revolution. That's where all this thing's building up to. I'm not sure where you can go to next after Sean Spears losing towards Punk. They had, Revolution is a pay-per-view that happens in March, and we're about towards the end of January, so technically you got one more month of uh, Dynamite and Rampage, but more or less Dynamite is Punk rarely, not rarely, but MJF rarely shows up on Rampage, so, uh, it's more or less gonna be Dynamite, so you got, what, five, six more episodes of Dynamite after next week, so I'm not sure where we're going with how you're gonna fill up that much television time with Punk and MJF, but I'm pretty sure they'll figure out a way how to do it. 
Anyway, after this is a six-woman tag team match. Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, and legit Layla Hirsch going against the team of Nyla Rose, The Bunny, and Penelope Ford. Nyla Rose, Penelope, and The Bunny win the match by pinfall when The Bunny was able to roll up Layla Hirsch from behind because Layla was arguing with Chris Statlander because they've been having beef for the last couple weeks. And, um, yeah, that's it. After this, the camera pans over to Ricky Starks, who has been on commentary the whole night. He's usually a fixture on AEW Rampage anyway, and commentary. He talks about how Jay Lethal keeps stick, how he uh, stuck his nose in Team Taz's business, and that's something you shouldn't do. And then Jay Lethal comes out, and he talks about how Ricky Starks has been talking smack about him all night on commentary, and he's been sitting back listening to it. He says he's been sitting in the back for the last two months watching this thing between Dante and Team Taz, and he doesn't like it. He then goes to tell Ricky that he's issuing a challenge to Ricky for the FTW Championship. Jay tells Ricky that he knows Ricky isn't going to give him an answer tonight because Ricky has to run everything by Taz over there. But whatever you, daddy, I mean, Taz tells you to do, do the opposite. When he says that line, Ricky is upset. He takes his headset off and he says he wants to beat up on Jay, but the referees come out to separate the two men. We're more or less probably going to get it not next week on Dynamite, but probably like next week on Rampage. That's my best guess for that. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage. Uh, the AEW Tag Team Championships matchup between John Silver, Alex Reynolds, with Evil Uno and J- Anna J in their corner going against the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in their corner. And this was a good match. It was a good tag team match. It got the fans interested. The fans... Actually, we're rooting more for John Silver and Alex Reynolds than they were Jurassic Express. Um, but Jurassic Express did win the match, and they kept their tag team titles when they hit an assisted cutter on Alex Reynolds to win the match by pinfall. Again, great tag team match. Everyone looked like they can win it. I mean, it really was a legit back-and-forth match between the two teams, and I ain't going to front. At some points, you had it look like John Silver and Alex Reynolds were really going to win the match. And I was like, boy, they're really cutting Jurassic Express's a title range short. But I had to realize, oh, yeah, they really care for Jurassic Express. So um, they're not going to like make them lose on their first uh, title defense. That's not happening. So that quickly snapped after I realized it. But anyway, good tag team match. Good rampage. There's more, no more I can say. But before I do get you guys out of here, this is one thing I want to keep you guys up to date with, too. Not really up to date. This is something I want you to, uh, I want to throw something at you. Um, for, since Ring of Honor happened and the last pay-per-view at Final Battle, by the way, Ring of Honor will be coming back in April, like the earliest, like April, like the first week of April during WrestleMania week with their card, Super Card of Honor, so... Ring of Honor is not dead. They just took a hiatus, and they will be back in April. Like, the official company will be, like, ta-da, back open. Um, The champions, the Ring of Honor champions, the Briscoes have been uh, having some beef with FTR ever since Final Battle when FTR came up and shocked the world. No, well, yeah, it was a shocker. They popped up on Ring of Honor's Final Battle, and they started doing battle with the Briscoes. This is a match that everybody's been wanting to see since FTR had got well, released from WWE in 2020. And we finally get that, like, little stare down and a little brawl at Final Battle. Well, for the past couple months, 
FTR and Briscoes were throwing shots at one another on social media. And now the ball's technically in the Briscoes' corner because FTR told him, listen, I came, we came to your backyard at final battle. You could come to our backyard. It's all up to you guys now. You, the ball's in your court. Come to us. You come to us. So with um, FTR having a match against what Brock Anderson and Lee Johnson this upcoming week on like Dynamite, I could see this be the perfect opportunity for the Briscoes to pop up and basically start something with FTR and give Brock and Lee Johnson like a win over FTR, but basically by nefarious means because the Briscoes are there to shock uh, FTR. And that's how they lose. I can see that happening. Now, will it happen? I don't know. It's all up to the Briscoes and FTR's discretion, how they really plan this and get this all together. But I would love to see it because I would love to see them have a match at Revolution because I can see that's where it's going to happen. Briscoes going against FTR Revolution. Why not? Do it. Or they'll build this up to a point that they have the match at Revolution and they'll have a rematch at uh, Supercard of Honor at like the Ring of Honor, like opening back, opening up uh party, if you will. But that's just something I just want to throw some at to you guys. FTR and Briscoe's uh, having their situation. It should be hitting up television soon. If not, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're saving that. I don't know what's going to happen, but Briscoe should be making coming to AEW soon to try to distract FTR. That's just, if I was a guy like brainstorming this, I would try to have them pop up on this upcoming week's episode of uh, AEW Dynamite. Anyway, that has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Let me give you guys my social media uh, links so you, you can follow me. Twitter, you can follow me at, at My2Podcast. Uh, Instagram, My2CentsPodcastG2. And my email is My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. You can talk to me about anything, whether I missed something to talk about professional wrestling, whether I missed something in the news you can talk to me about how you have been going because again this is january we're almost in the middle of it and this is still time where people are missing certain individuals i don't need nobody to be trying to take themselves out of this world because they're feeling bad or horrible remember you have someone to talk to i am always here um i want to thank apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podbeam amazon music and audible because they have still allowed me to still be on this platform, this social media, uh, this, well, yeah, this platform to still say what I want to say, and, uh, yeah, without taking me off, so thank you. Remember, I have a Sunday episode coming up tomorrow, where I talk about things in the news, and things, uh, I personally just want to talk about that I think that people are aware of, and, um, with that, if you don't listen to that, hey, you guys will be hearing from me again next Saturday. And with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. This is a goodbye. This is until you hear this sweet, lovely voice again. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.